This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. I can be found on Instagram and Pinterest at Thoughts from a Page. And if you have personalized book questions or feedback on my podcast, I can be reached at Cindy H. Burnett at att.net. Today, I am interviewing Asha Lemmy about her debut novel, 50 Words for Rain. Asha was born in Virginia and raised in Maryland. She attended school in Washington, D.C., where she was fortunate to be exposed to a wide variety of cultural influences. She developed a passionate interest in reading at the age of two and has been writing stories since the age of five. After graduating from Boston College with a degree in English literature and creative writing, she relocated to New York City, where she worked in book publishing. I partner with Murder by the Book for this podcast, and 50 Words for Rain can be purchased there. The link is in my show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Asha. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. So first, you were just selected for the Good Morning America's Book Club. Tell me all about that, like getting the phone call and how it all went and the whole process. I can't wait to hear about it. So I actually found out in an email in June, and I freaked out. I was kind of like running around my very small studio apartment, just getting very, very excited. And it was really surreal to actually see it on the TV. And it was awful to have to keep it a secret. It was so hard, but it, the payoff was completely worth it. Well, I'm sure that is hard once you know and you can't really tell anybody. That's publishing. Publishing is all about having to sit on information. So it's a learned skill. I guess that's true because you worked in publishing before you were writing your book, correct? Or while you were writing your book. I did, yes. And it was always, we don't have the green light to announce this yet. Typically, by the time you hear about a deal as a reader, it's been in the works for a while. So why don't we start out by talking a little bit about 50 Words for Rain? Why don't you tell us a little more about it? Sure. So it's historical fiction. It's a coming-of-age story about Nori, who is a biracial young girl growing up in post-World War II Japan. Nori is the child of a an affair between a Japanese aristocrat and an African-American soldier. And she is a big problem for her very traditional, very proud grandparents. And they keep her in their attic so that no one will find out about her. And it's kind of a sad life for a child. You know, she doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have any exposure to the outside world. And it's not until her older half-brother, Kira, comes to live at the estate that she's given an opportunity to form a bond. Where did you get the inspiration for the story? Well, so I always knew when I sat down to write something, I knew I wanted to tell a story about a girl who kind of blooms where she's planted, girl who has to teach herself a lot and has to kind of grow up largely in isolation. So that was the idea that came to me. And then everything else kind of flowed from there. Like the skin lightening, that portion where she's having those treatments, where did that come from? Well, that is a common practice, unfortunately, in places in the world, South Korea, India, Bangladesh, the Philippines. I mean, all of these countries have booming businesses for skin lightening creams because of the effect that colonialism has had on the world. People have internalized the idea that if they have lighter skin, it signifies that they have a higher social status. And I knew that in the context of the story, that that's something that Yuko, the grandmother, would almost certainly believe. And Nori's dark skin is, you know, it's the most noticeable thing 
about her from an outsider's perspective. It immediately identifies her. So I knew that that was something that Yuko would probably try and get rid of if she could. So how did you decide to set it in Japan? So I've always been interested in Japan um, from the time I was very little. I had um, I had a close influence in my life growing up and she's a Japanese immigrant. I used to play with her kids. And so it just, it was kind of organic for me. I started learning Japanese when I was like eight and I used to read Japanese poetry and I didn't want to have to read translations. So I figured I'd learn the language, which is kind of a nerdy thing to do, but that's kind of how I am. So when I was reaching for a setting in historical fiction, I knew I wanted one that was less commonly explored and that I knew a little something about and that I had a close resource to draw from. So Japan just felt kind of natural. Well, that's what I liked so much about it, actually, that it is something that's less explored. I love historical fiction. That's kind of what I specialize in. And it's always just so nice to see an area that isn't something that's just constantly covered. I love historical fiction too. So I definitely agree with you there. I, you know, I've read so many stories about the United States and England and Poland and France and Germany. And, you know, Japan just doesn't come up a lot. It definitely does not. So since you worked in the publishing industry while you were working on your book, did you feel like there were things you knew to do or knew not to do, or did that really impact your writing at all? Well, most of the book was at least kind of bare bones written before I got my first publishing job, but it definitely helped me as far as realizing that I needed, I needed to get people's attention immediately. When you send query letters to agents, like they get so many of them and just seeing that volume made me realize what I was up against as far as needing to make sure that I had a hook and that I hooked fast. So that helped a lot. I guess I hadn't thought about that too. That would really help you with the query letter process and kind of being yeah. familiar with what to include, what not to include, what matters, yeah. what doesn't well, matter. Be what got thrown in the trash and what <laughs> got open. So, yes, exactly. You avoid those ones that get thrown in the trash, right? <laughs> did you have to do a lot of research? I did. I was not alive back then, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> and so I definitely had to learn what life was like 40s and the 50s and the 60s. and I, you know, I had a lot of fun. I was able to talk to people who either were alive back then or their parents were. And I read a lot of books and I watched a lot of documentaries. And that's probably, I think, why I write historical fiction, because you just get to go on this immense journey of learning. And it's so much fun for me. Well, I think that's why I like to read it so much because I, I love inspiring stories, but I also just learning, like learning about different time periods a lot and historical fiction is perfect for that. So Nori is clearly trying to find her place in the world and understand herself. Why did you decide to write about that particular topic? Well, I think we're all trying to find where we belong. And, you know, for me in particular, I started writing this when I was 16 I think I was at that age where I was really starting to wonder who I was and what life had in store for me. And Nora just felt kind of like an extension of myself. And I, I almost feel like we grew up together in a way because I was 16 when I started it. It's been 10 years and, you know, now the book is in the world. So I feel like we kind of got to grow up together, which was fun. Oh, I love that. It started when you were 16. That's amazing. Thank you. So 10 years, obviously you were not writing the entire time on it, I'm assuming. You started the process, had some ideas, kind of fleshed it out. Then did you just come back to it at some point? 
Yeah. So I, I wrote it, I started writing it in junior year of high school and I didn't really sit down to finish it until I graduated from college. So it's probably about 21, 22 at that point. I think I had a lot of thoughts and feelings and observations that I wanted to put on paper. And I think I also finally had the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And whether it works or doesn't work, I'm, I'm going to finish this book. What do you hope your readers take away from the book? I hope it makes everyone think a little bit more about the boxes that we put ourselves in and the boxes that we put other people into and whether or not they are really justifiable. Well, your book's coming out at a great time for that topic, because obviously, as the summer has progressed, that's been a highly relevant topic. So that works out well that it's coming out kind of right when we're in the middle of that discussion already. Yes. Well, I think some things about Nori's story are timeless. Obviously, some of the attitudes are outdated, but I still think that we seek belonging in groups and we seek affirmation through having certain qualities. But of course, the opposite of that is that people who don't belong to our groups or don't think like us, we ostracize them and just think it's not always avoidable, but I just think it's something that we should all try to be aware of. No, I do agree with that. I think you have to constantly have in kind of the forefront of your brain that everyone is different and that they're probably making decisions or choices based on their own life experiences or things that are going on for them that you don't know about, whatever it is, just have a lot more grace than maybe we tend to initially. Yes, absolutely. The other thing that kind of resonated with me was with Nori and you were talking about community and relationships and she just was so lonely when she was young. And obviously she was kept in the attic, so she was lonely. But when her brother arrives, just every single bit of attention he paid to her, she just lapped up. And I think, you know, it was startling for him because he had not encountered someone like that before. Yes. Well, I think he was initially curious about her. And then I think it bloomed from there. I don't think he ever expected to grow as as close to her as he did, but that's kind of the beauty of it. Some of the best things in life are surprises. No, I agree completely. And he'd probably been set up by the grandparents to not want to like her. And, you know, yeah. So, I mean, it probably took him by surprise that he's like, well, she's nothing like they were describing to me. And then he realized she really didn't know even her own story. Right. I think he probably before he met her, he thought of her as a concept, much like Yuko thinks of her. Yuko doesn't really see her when she looks at her. She sees the thing. She sees the scandal. She sees the shame. She doesn't see Nori as a person. And I think Akira initially thinks of it that way. And then when he meets her, he realizes that she's just this precocious little girl. No, I agree. And obviously, thankfully, was there to kind of help Nori along, which I, you know, is so happy to have him show up and help her because it's hard to read about those early years. Yeah, I guess it tugs at the heartstrings. Definitely. So I'm always all about titles and covers because I think they are so relevant. And I mean, you worked in the publishing industry, obviously, you know that. But how did you come up with the title for this one? So 50 words for rain actually refers to a saying that because it rains so often in Japan, there are 50 words to describe rain in the Japanese language. Personally, I only know about 24 of them, but I thought it was a very appropriate metaphor. And it's something that actually carries over to a few different languages and cultures. You know, the Inuit people also have 50 words for snow because it snows so often. 
So I just thought it was a good metaphor to describe the many different kinds of challenges that Nori goes through in her life and that we all go through to a certain extent. No, I agree. And I was happy when I got to the portion of the book where you actually see the quote and they explain that because then I think it just tied in even more to the title. I actually particularly like the New York Times article where she says, Asha Lemmy's sprawling, thought-provoking debut novel, 50 Words for Rain, will give you 50 reasons to cancel the rest of your day. That, okay, when I tell you that I almost fell out of my chair, (laughs) that was really touching to read. I just thought that was the greatest quote. When I looked at that, I was like, okay, I have to actually pull that and include it because that's just, it it definitely had to make your day. It definitely made my year. Yeah, I I can totally understand that. And then the cover, I mean, it is just beautiful. Were you, you, how did that process go for you? So I cannot take any credit for the cover. I didn't design it. All I said was, I'm thinking about a tree. Like I see a tree on the cover. And the Dutton art team came back with this. And it was, I mean, they knocked it out of the park on the first try. This is the only cover I've ever looked at. And it was perfect. So that's wonderful. I just think it's stunning. And it's different. And I think they're... Often I get so frustrated because I'll see a cover and then I'll feel like I see it 10 more times or some iteration of it. So that the fact that this does not look like anything else is wonderful. Well, thank you. I will pass that on to the people who designed it. So we talked a little bit about the 10-year process, writing, putting it away, writing again. When you picked it back up, do you have a set schedule or do you just write when you can? How does that work for you? I write when I can. I've tried to have a set schedule and it really doesn't work for me. Like I'll sit down and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to write. And then I don't think of a single coherent sentence for two hours. And then I'll wake up at like three in the morning and be like, oh, I have an idea. It's really kind of scattershot for me. What advice do you have for aspiring writers? Well, I would definitely say the biggest piece of advice I could give out the gate is you have to learn not to take rejection personally or you're going to go insane. It's not personal. You can't make it personal. I know we as creators, obviously our work is very important to us. We put our blood, sweat, and tears into it. But that's part of putting art in the world for consumption is is that some people are not going to like it. You got to get over it. And the second piece of advice would be just don't give up. Sometimes you might have to bend and adapt and listen to advice and advise. But if you really have a book that is the book of your heart, do not give up on it. I will say for me, I try not to read reviews, but I'm only human. And one positive review will take the sting out of like however many negative reviews. It's just really nice to know that your work reads somebody. So I would say just try and hold on to those things and tune out the rest because you can't do anything about it. That is great advice, especially in this day and age. I hate to even ask you this because I know you've just got your book coming out, but are you working on anything at the present or are you just enjoying this one heading out into the world? Um, no, I'm always working on something. <laughs> Whether I'll be finishing it anytime soon is anyone's guess, but I am working on something. Um, I am working on another historical fiction novel about, it's another coming of age story about a girl who is on a quest to find the man she believes is her father, who is a person of note and who doesn't know that she is supposedly his child. So that's what I'm working on. Okay, that sounds interesting. Hopefully. (laughs) What do you like to do when you're not writing or reading? I cook, I bake, I watch way too many like operas and symphonies and ballets on the the computer these days, obviously because of Corona. (laughs) 
can't go in person and I'm kind of a junkie when it comes to the classical performing arts. So I've been finding ways to still engage. And the one positive of all of that is there's a lot more of that online now. Yes, which makes me so happy. You can actually stream operas from the Met, which is like divine. That is. I know our local movie theater pre-corona would have maybe every second Sunday night, they would have performances. You could go sit in the theater and watch the Met. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that sounded like fun. Never got there. I have three teenagers and Sunday nights are never (laughs) easy. But I always thought, oh, that would be so fun. And now that it's actually on the computer, it's fabulous. I used to do that and it is super fun. I definitely recommend it when you get some time. Well, I always wrap up by asking about a couple of books you've read recently that you really liked. Well, I just started reading Fiona Davis's The Lions of Fifth Avenue, and I was the GMA pick for August, and I love it. I'm not finished with it yet, but it's, it's really good for historical fiction fans and for people who like a little bit of mystery. And my all-time favorite book is actually A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khaled Hosseini. I've read it probably a hundred times. And I reread it about two months ago, leading up to pub because it always kind of calms my spirit. And it's a phenomenal book and I will never stop recommending it to everyone who will listen to me. You know, every once in a while, there'll be posts on Instagram where people will say, you know, these books, like name five books that you still want to read that you never have. And that is one of the ones for me that I, I actually have it and I've still never read it. And I need to. Oh my goodness. You got to read it. You got to read it. Yeah, no, I definitely do. And I love Fiona's book. In fact, Fiona is how I found you because when she came on my podcast and I interviewed her, one of her recommendations was your book. Well, that's so wonderful. I'm going to have to thank her. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining me. I really, really enjoyed talking with you today. And I'm so excited for every positive and great thing that's been happening for 50 Words for Rain. Thank you so much, Cindy. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Asha's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope to see you next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.